Welcome to Beyond the Pink Cloud, the podcast where we talk about moving forward in our lives through recovery and navigating the world with grace, ease, and humor. We've got tools and strategies from the experts to help you live with less stress and increased ease. Let's get into today's episode. Thank you so much for being here and for supporting the podcast. It means a lot to me that you enjoy the show, that you like listening. We've got a, a great guest today. Carrie from New Minimalism will be joining me. And I wanted to air this episode today in light of everything that is happening with coronavirus and so much uncertainty and a lot of people finding that they have more time in their homes, whether that's forced or because they've wanted to go ahead and just take a step back and try to do their part with containment. So in this episode, Carrie talks about you know ways to be minimalistic and have a beautiful home and the emotional attachment that we can have with our things and how to clear some of that out and do so in a loving way. So I thought this might be a nice time to go ahead and air this episode. And for all of you out there doing your part and staying home, and especially for all my fellow healthcare workers out there, I just, I really want to let you all know that I'm thinking of you and I appreciate you so much to taking the time to listen. And it means a lot to me that you get value from the podcast. If that's the case, please like, please subscribe, please tell your friends. Um, I'd love to have this grow more, especially in this time where I'm one of those people who's at home more. So being able to put more energy and effort into this creative project is exciting, even even in so much uncertainty. Um, So I really appreciate your support and help in doing that. We also have the Ease Experiment that started today, Monday, March 16th. The replays of the videos will be up, so it's not too late to take part in the the experiment. And what I want to say about that is I'm using this time and we, I had the experiment set up previously. And right now I feel like it is so very important for all of us to learn as many tools as we can to be able to self-regulate our own systems and to be able to bring a sense of ease into our own bodies and into our own homes and to become more the, the well-regulated ones. If you're interested in learning some of these somatic techniques that I found incredibly helpful, that I use with my clients, that I use with my patients, please come and check out the Ease Experiment. I've started calling it the Ease Experience. So, you know, it's morphing as we go. But everything that I present throughout the the five-day period where this will take place, they're all very practical and applicable tools to be able to get you into your body a little more, feeling a little bit more, and to really learn how to regulate your own system, which is vastly important. I, I feel like it's the most important thing I have to offer right now in these um, in this new uncharted territory that we're all in. So please come check that out. There'll be a link to that in the show notes. And I hope to see you there. And be safe, everyone. Thank you again so much for your support. And please enjoy today's episode. Hi, good morning. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Beyond the Pink Cloud. This is your host, Dr. Alice Kirby. With me today, I have Ms. Carrie Fortin. She is the co-founder of a company called New Minimalism. She is also the author of a, a book and accompanying journal with the same name, New Minimalism. Hi, Carrie. Hi, Dr. Alice. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. Uh, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Tired. We're saying I've got a toddler and a baby, but I'm but happy. So that's what matters. <laughs> Yeah, I hope you get to take naps like whenever you want. Yeah, if only, you know, with with one kid kind of, but you know, it's one of those things where like people tell you like, oh, you know, make sure you 
are really well rested beforehand. And it's like, oh, well, yeah. that's information I could have received like a decade ago. But, you know, <laughs> we're just, <laughs> just chugging through. So I'm really, I didn't know that you had two small kids and, and I, I want to hear your story and what led you into the, the concept and the work of new minimalism. But I'm really curious too, how practicing minimalism is with small children. Like, do you, how do you, yeah. how do you kind of beat the, like, my baby needs all this stuff or my kid needs all this stuff kind of rap that I think is prevalent in our society? Yeah. I mean, like so many things in parenting, it's incredibly humbling. Um, I was saying how, you know, being a self-declared minimalist and then having kids is kind of setting yourself up for at least like some internal conflict and struggle. I think as an individual, I had like gotten myself pretty dialed in and was really clear. And I had sort of worked through a lot of my stories around stuff and a lot of personal healing through that. But I realized I've got a whole other set of stories when it comes to parenting and providing for kids and what that looks like. So it's been a whole new wave of self-awareness. You know, I would have moments where I was really tired and I joked that like, I really needed something. My first daughter had reflux and wasn't sleeping. And I was like, I would have given Amazon my social security number if they would have like (laughs) brought a droid into my bedroom to drop like the exact right pacifier off at the exact right time. Um, And so I do think that there are, right, there are some things there are some cases where stuff can solve some problems in parenting. Um, But there are a lot of cases where it doesn't, you know, same as anything else where it's really just us, me, I shouldn't speak for other people, me wanting to do what's best for my kids, me wanting to have them feel, you know, well cared for, stimulated, entertained, all of these things. So yeah, I've had to check back in with myself like over and over again about what it is that are my actual goals as a parent. And what are my actual goals for my kids and how is stuff uh, aligned or not aligned with it? Because, you know, my two-year-old is great at making a mess and not great at cleaning up yet. And so stuff is like such a big part of our lives and cleaning it. And I just found that I'm a much better, happier, more content person when I'm not constantly cleaning things. And so a lot of me choosing a more minimalist lifestyle for us as a family means me deciding like it's much better for me to be a present and calm parent Mm -hmm. who can engage with a couple of toys with my child uh, versus me trying to like constantly navigate bringing new things in like showing them to her cleaning up after it and and it's just trying to find a certain level of confidence and contentment in that because we don't see a lot of examples as parents of like you know, there's sort of this hyper stylized people who have very expensive, like fancy wooden toys and they have it styled just so, and that shows up on Instagram, but the real day to day of like, just kind of being a parent and trying to choose just a simple and calm life. I don't know. I still don't see as many examples of that in like a real practical way uh, as I might like. So, you know, I'm navigating it. I'm humbled by it, but I find I've, doubled down my belief in minimalism Hmm. as a parent. Like I really see it as a tool for us as a whole family now. That's wonderful. I feel like that would be a great, I don't know if you want to write another book, but like the idea of, of raising kids in a minimalistic way. Cause I, I like what you said about knowing that, knowing who you are and like that you constantly having to clean and pick up stuff just kind of frazzles you or I forget the exact wording you use, but along those lines, it kind of makes you like less present and less calm with your kids. So just to choose, be very selective about what you're choosing. So you don't have to take that role. Cause I think a lot of us don't even realize we have a choice. It's like, 
they're just, that's just the thing is like, we have to pick these toys up after our kids or in some cases, you know, maybe after our partners or our roommates or whatever our, <laughs> our situation is. And we don't even, it's like the, the idea of choice of like, oh no, I could just have way less stuff for my kid or my family or my household um, and consciously create that. That's a good, good distinction. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, what happened for me is I was like, I've got about like 10 minutes after my kids go to sleep that I'm willing to spend like getting the house back in order. And if after 10 minutes, there's still stuff going around, then like it's not working for me. And yeah. so that's really nice. That's like picking up toys, picking up crayons, picking up, you know, pieces of waffle that have gone like, I don't know what, you know, like it, it includes all of that. And for me, it was like, it's kind of arbitrary. But after that point, I'm like, I feel like a servant to my household and to my yeah. stuff versus our stuff serving us. And so that for me was like something I was really clear on. So at night when I'm tidying, if it gets to the point where I'm like, Ugh, I'm over this mm-hmm. um, and there's still stuff out, then that's my tool to be like, okay, then there's too much here right now. Yeah, that's wise. I'm going to use that. <laughs> I like that. So I'd love to hear a little bit about your backstory, Carrie, and how you built this company or co-founded this company and, um, and what led you to, to minimalism? Yeah. So it's really interesting. And now it feels totally quintessential, but I was working a corporate job in San Francisco through the recession. And I was sort of there while people were getting laid off left and right. And the corporate culture just tanked and it wasn't something I was sure I wanted to do anyways. What was uh, your but really career, riding what was, it out. What was your career field? Sorry to interrupt. I'm just curious. No, no problem. Yeah. So I was a um, litigation paralegal. I had taken okay. the LSAT. I was applying to law school. So I was like going fast and furious down this like legal route. And because I was inexperienced, my billable rate was really inexpensive. And so that was part of the reason there were like 20 paralegals when I started and only two at the end of the recession. And me, because I was probably the cheapest and could get mm-hmm. stuff done. But so it was just a really it was a really stressful, really toxic, really kind of sad place to be in, as I'm sure it was for a lot of people going through the downturn. You know, I heard all over the place, like, you're just so lucky to have a job. Mm-hmm. You're lucky, you know, you can keep paying down your student loans, you can pay for all of your bills, you know, you're staying afloat. And so you're lucky to have this. And I told myself that story for a couple of years. And then finally, I was like, I just don't feel very lucky yeah. to be doing this. I feel really I feel really sad. I feel really unclear. I feel like the people around me and above me are living lives that I am not interested in following. And so all throughout this, you know, this was when like guilt group and rulala were a big thing. And I was shopping all of the time. You know, I felt like a real adult, you know, like I could go to Banana Republic and buy myself a belted trench coat and like <laughs> be this corporate woman that I thought yeah. I would be. And so I really... I really bought my way into this experience, you know, like lunches out, lattes many times a day just to get out of the office, you know, wearing these clothes that felt good. And so when I was thinking to myself, man, like if I don't want this job anymore, what are my bare minimum expenses? Like, what can I do? How can I make it through so I can do something I enjoy more with my day? And it became really clear that shopping and eating out were two huge drags that weren't necessary. And so for me, I was like, okay, well, I'm willing to do what I envision as a massive sacrifice, which is like to put shopping on hold, to even sell some of the stuff that I have, and to just pause on this until I can get myself back up and running again. 
And this was in 2010. And um, so I quit my job. I took on a whole series of other jobs. I stopped buying things. I stopped eating out. I like sold a bunch of my clothes on eBay. And, and I was astonished by how good I felt. Like in just my a- mind, I was like, yeah, just this lightness. Like I, I, I was thinking to myself, like, this is a major sacrifice, but I, it's worth it to me because I want control of my days. And instead I was like, okay, this feels a little bit crazy because people aren't modeling this for me. I'm not familiar with this, but like, why do I feel so much better having less stuff? Why do you feel so much better consuming less stuff? Like it was just purely a personal experience of like lightness and freedom and clarity. And when I got out of the habit of shopping, I stopped looking longingly at windows and in catalogs, you know, it was like this whole cycle of yearning that felt bottomless. Mm-hmm. like instead of chasing it, I had just kind of like hopped off to the side. It's like on a treadmill when it's going too fast and you just like put your feet on both sides and it keeps running and yeah. you can just like stand still. Like that, that was sort of this clarity I felt. And I was like, okay, well, I don't, I don't really know what to make of this. So I'm just going to keep living my life. And then around this time I went on a yoga retreat and got matched to carpool with the person who would end up becoming my business partner, Kyle. And she was, going through a sort of similar but different personal journey her background is really in interior design and sustainable design and as we got stuck in traffic you know driving from northern california to southern california we got talking about this and we both kind of looked at each other you know it's like testing it out like on a first date or something like yeah so i like don't really buy stuff and i'm kind of into it and she's Mm -hmm. like i don't buy stuff either and i'm really into it and we were both talking about how there just didn't feel to be one great examples of this, like neither of us had grown up with any language of voluntary simplicity or minimalism. And then the people who were talking about it online during those days were all single men who like yeah. lived out of backpacks. Right. And I was like, I like, I was like an art history and psychology major. Like I like beautiful things. Yeah. I like softness. I don't want to be a traveling nomad. Like I'm in a relationship that I really enjoy. I have friends here. I I have all these things that I really like. And from what I can tell, it's incompatible with like minimalism as we know it, but I don't feel like it has to be. And so really out of that conversation on the way to our yoga retreat, the idea for new minimalism, like that's where the seeds were planted. And then it slowly grew. Kyle and I kept running into each other and talking to each other and sharing resources. And we just realized that between my passion for psychology and understanding decision-making and helping, you know, people talk through stuff um, and her passion for then making spaces feel really beautiful. Cause that was the other thing, like homes felt really sparse or spare or empty. It's like, if you get rid of a quarter of your books, but you don't do anything to your bookshelf, right. it just has like a hole in the middle of it. And so we wanted to help people create something instead that was really warm and beautiful and unique to them. That's lovely. I think everyone wants that, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, we ended up coming up with a lot of philosophical points that we could share with clients and other people down the line, but it was really this idea of like, we want for you what you want for yourself. Mm -hmm. And what people want for themselves is a space that reflects who they truly are. You know, you want someone to walk into your home and like really see you in it. And then a space that helps and supports you as you're becoming the person you want to be like so if if it's really important to you to 
practice your instrument at night, you know, instead of having like a huge TV in your room, if you've got like a beautiful stand and your guitar hanging on the wall, it's like both artwork and it's inspiring and it helps you craft and create this time for something that you really care about. Um, and that's a tiny example, but that's really, we believe that when your insides match your outsides, it can feel really good and powerful. Yeah, I struggle with that a lot. I'm like, come to my house, please <laughs> help me make my office. It's so nicer. funny because when I can see in your video, I'm like, it's beautiful. You've got your plant, your mirror, your artwork, but it's very simple. So yeah, it yeah. I, I, thanks, thanks. I like the plants. That's definitely helpful. And so I love that you brought up, you have this background um, with psychology and understanding like some of the mental stuff that goes into holding on to things. Cause I wanted to ask you about that. I was last night actually at a, a women's group and a, we had, you know, we were playing games. And it was really fun. And one of my friends was talking about how she's this big hoarder. Um, and she's like, I have to move into a two bedroom apartment because I just have so much stuff. And I'm like, well, just get rid of some of your stuff. She's like, you don't understand. I was like, you know, you're right. I probably don't. And so, and, and I mentioned, I was like, oh, you know, I'm going to do this interview tomorrow with, uh, with Carrie, who's this new minimalism woman. Uh, so we were kind of collectively as a group wondering what, like, what do you do? How do you help people? Or how would you give advice for people to even just start like separating from the objects, like to decrease some of that emotional attachment? Yeah. I mean, so that's huge, right? That's 99% of our work. And I think it always stops for, it starts first with self-compassion. Mm. Like stuff is really complicated. It tells, like I could walk into someone's house and be like, none of these pants are in your current size. Like these dishes don't look good and whatever. And just like objectively say, none of this stuff should be here. But that doesn't mean anything to the person who's living in it, right? It's like, those are the pants for the size that I will be when I lose the weight. Or those were gifts from my grandmother. Or like, that is what I wore the first time I met my partner. Mm -hmm. The stories that we have with stuff are so much deeper, I think, than we give ourselves permission for it. Like, it, it sounds superficial to say that about a bag or a plate or something, but there really is deep and meaningful stories and connections that we have tied to those objects. So I think it's first, like, just acknowledge that you're not wrong, you're not bad for getting to this place. We all have it. And then I think the next place a lot of what we would call clutter are like decisions that you haven't made yet. It's deferred mm. decisions. So a lot of it is that there's this weight of like, I might use it. I might fit into that. Like, Oh, I just can't really process this right now. And so it's just like physically the stuff ends up piling up because we're just not ready to process or deal with it at that time. And those decisions are really big. And I think a big part of the reason why we started our service was, one, to help like people walk through those decisions, but also to acknowledge like that is really tough mental labor that you're doing. So it's really helpful to have someone around to bag the stuff up or to take it away or to do whatever, because you're doing this like really big work when you're deciding what stays and goes. But even before that, it's the first part is getting super clear on the life that you want and mm. on what matters the most to you. Because if you decide to yourself, for example, like we worked with a woman who had had experienced some health scares and she had decided that taking care of herself and her body was like of the utmost priority to her. It was not just important, but it was medically crucial that she do that. And so what she decided was that like being light, being healthful, being nourished was 
crucial to her. And so when you go into a kitchen deciding for yourself, like, this is what I want, then it's like, you see the deep fryer and you're like, well, that's not a part of this story. Mm -hmm. And then you see other things and you're like, well, that's not a part of the story versus saying to yourself, like, oh, I bought it. How much is it worth? You know, like if you go in without clarity, you're just picking up an item which you've purchased and brought into your house and trying to tell your old self, like you were wrong for doing this or like, Mm. this is how much it costs or maybe I would use it. And all of those things don't really help. And they get in the way of like you being super clear on what you want. So if you start out being super clear, then you're just kind of naturally shedding things that don't fit with that vision. And I think that that is really powerful, like to decide for yourself, I want my bedroom, you know, I work really hard. I have long days. When I get home, I want my bedroom to feel just like so zen, so serene, so calm. And when you decide that, it's like, well, yeah, I can't have the second set of drawers with all of my shirts falling out of it. And I don't want this, like all this busy stuff up on the walls. Like what I want is a beautiful bedspread and a plant and a mirror. And like, that's what will serve my vision. And so it's really about focusing on what you want, treasuring what does stay, like the things that are of the super high quality. So that way, the stuff that you're letting go of really, it's just like more of a natural shedding and falling away versus a like grippy pulling away from yourself. I like that that idea. Yeah. I love the idea of going in with clarity. It's almost like you're working I don't know if you're working forwards or backwards, but it's the opposite of going in and trying to just like, I need to get rid of this stuff. I have too much. And it's like, instead of that tearing, it is more like a natural shedding. I love the way you express that. Um, Yeah. Well, just think about it. I'm sure everyone can relate to this idea where you're like, I'm going to declutter and you pull everything out of like your bathroom closet. And then an hour later, you're just sitting on the ground surrounded by like old nail polish remover yeah. and like crying. a bunch of like random foundation <laughs> rugs crying. And then you just like shove it all in the basket and put it back away because you're like, this is crazy. You get rid and of one thing. Like, <laughs> exactly. And, you, and, it, and then you like go fish it back out of the trash because you're like, I don't know, lavender nails might be in style <laughs> next year. And so, right? Yeah. And so that's just like, that's the human experience. I did that so many times before. I had this sort of mental shift and then it becomes so much lighter and easier, but yeah, it's really hard until you get there. And what do you think with, like, I know we have, we attach sentimentality to normal objects. Like you were saying like clothes and purses and, and things that we just have around books, especially are a tough one for people. But what do you, what's your advice on like family heirloom type stuff? So I know I personally have a difficult time, although I'm getting much better at getting rid of like anything my mom has ever given me and my mom's healthy and alive. And she's like, let's just get rid of that shit if you don't want it. And I'm like, Oh, but you know, it's a gift from you. But just, but I also like, I have my family silver in this box. Like, I, you know, I don't know if I'm ever going to use this, but I don't feel like it's something I want to give away. And just other things that have kind of been passed down through family generational stuff, things that take up space that we're not necessarily using, but that carry this sort of ancestral weight to them. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's huge. So one sort of meta step back is like we, through working with all of our clients, we ended up finding that there were like, we call them archetypes, like four main archetypes around how people relate to stuff. And so some people might. I just did a class on archetypes this past weekend too with um, Peter Levine, like an SE masterclass. Oh, that's awesome. So I love that you just brought that up. Yes. Well, and so like we created well, basically what we found was we would pose these questions and these ideas to people again and again. And then like sort of at lunch, we'd be like, you know what, this 
young single woman in her 20s actually really reminds me of that like older gentleman who we worked with last week and it, they don't have anything in common outside of the way that they talk about their stuff or the way they're connecting mm. to it so like let's try talking to her the way we talk to him and so over like years of doing this we arose at four archetypes which really are like ways in which people tend to connect to things and so the one that you're talking about we would call connected which is people who really value relationships, experiences, memories. And so they're tend to be great friends, great daughters, great sisters, you know, people who will send the gift, who will hold on to the card, who will throw your baby shower, who will do all these things. And then sort of the, we call it like the shadow side of that is really feeling like the love that you have for these people in these relationships is almost like imbued in these items. And so mm-hmm. they become so important that you're like, I'm not going to throw away my mom when you're saying like, I'm not going to throw away the stuff my mom gave me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so part of it, and I would encourage people, we've got um, some information online it's in our book, which is available at libraries. Like you don't have to buy it, but just check it out. Cause I think it's really helpful to go in knowing which one of those you connect the most to. So that way you have that, like another one might be people who find youth in a lot of things who really value, like whoever has all the extra cords under their bed who's like you know I might end up using this or light bulbs or tools or like you know they pull a bunch of nails out of something they're like well I'm gonna hold on to these nails because they're perfectly good and I might use them someday and so part of it right is going into it like understanding one that's totally normal really common two like those things are going to come up for you so when you catch yourself entering that space you can sort of like stop the cycle from going and just kind of catch yourself in it it's like a mini mindfulness, like, you know, just notice that those thoughts are arising and that that's normal. And so speaking to you specifically about hand-me-downs and not hand-me-downs, like family heirlooms, which is huge. And I don't think we've ever worked with anyone who hasn't had some amount of heirloom Mm. that they're processing. Part of it, it's kind of cool that your mom is sitting there saying to you, like, you know, it's okay, you can get rid of it. Because a lot of people will say, like, do you have that sweater I gave you? Or, you know, someone will pass away and you were left with all of the worldly belongings and you don't even know what was important to them. So all of a sudden, everything feels really important. And so we have kind of like a, there's like two steps in this. The first is letting one stand for many or like choosing a certain thing that really gets at the essence of the person who you care about and the relationship or the experience that you had. So like, for example, we had this one, really beautiful woman who we worked with um, in San Francisco who had lost her grandmother, who had really raised her and was just sort of this pillar in her family and in her community and someone she looked up to so much. So she had an entire closet stuffed full of her grandmother's things. But that closet felt really heavy. She was worried that like moths might get in. She had no idea how to process any of these things. And as we were going through it all, she found four really beautiful silk scarves that just reminded of her grandmother. Her, she always had like a perfectly tied scarf around her neck or around her mm-hmm. head. And so what we ended up doing was framing those scarves because they were colorful and beautiful and hanging them on the wall down her hallway. Mm-hmm. Because one, you know, it became artwork. Two, we honored this relationship by framing it and giving it a place of real meaning. And then um, this woman was able to let go of almost everything else because what she really wanted was to be reminded of her grandmother. And she wanted her grandmother to have a prominent place in her home. And so that was like, it was just, 
it, it solved all of these things at once. It's like, she wanted artwork. She wanted to remember her mm-hmm. grandmother. She needed space in her closet for a partner to move in. Like all of these things sort of coincided. So she was able to choose a really specific thing and then raise it up. You know, having a whole closet of stuff you don't see and that bothers you is right. not worth nearly as much, right? As like these things you're interacting with and loving. So that's a part of it. I think on the other side of it, a huge value we had always was making sure that stuff didn't end up in the trash. Um, Just like honoring the stuff itself. And so we connected to 14 different organizations in the Bay just to make sure that stuff that people were letting go of could go to somebody else. And that was just an environmental drive to begin with. But it Mm -hmm. ended up being that the sensation of being generous taps into a whole different part of your psyche. Like we would have people who would have boxes of pens and paper clips and whatever and say they might need it. And we'd say, you know, we've got this Head Start preschool down the street who are just, these kids are just dying for, you know, markers and crayons and paper. And people are like, oh my gosh, take all of it. Take like Mm -hmm. all these things I thought I wanted, take everything in here. Like, please give it to these kids. That's what I want. And so part of being generous is like, it pulls you out of a fear-based place. It like inherently switches off that part of your brain that's like clinging and worried and fear-based and moves you into this place of like, we're all connected. I want to support people. And it makes you feel really good about letting go versus making you feel like you're wasting something or not honoring Mm -hmm. it. It's opposite. You're giving brand new life to something and you're supporting someone in your community and you're keeping stuff out of the landfill. So I find always focusing on the generosity and then letting like one or two really key beautiful things happen in your life. Like with the silver, it would be interesting. I don't know if you like drink tea and if a part of the silver silver set were like cool teaspoons and just Mm. like moving those teaspoons into your normal um, Mm -hmm. cutlery drawer. And then every afternoon when you have tea, you're actually using it. And so then you let go of the rest. Maybe someone will have that and really enjoy it. And then you are still interacting with that part that you really enjoy. It's Mm -hmm. like, by letting go of all the bulk of it, you can actually interact with it. Yeah. I love that. That's such a great, uh, I love everything you're saying. This is so great. You're so wise. <laughs> I love the generosity well, you, you piece know, too. It's, it's so true because right? like, it does, it switches us out of that fear-based mentality. And then you think about giving and then your stuff, oh, it's great. Right. It just flows that you just feel like big and open and kind. And, Mm -hmm. and that's not usually how it feels when you're decluttering your space. So no, it doesn't. And I love the whole shift of, yeah, just moving away from this. Like I have to rip stuff away and I was bad and I'm wrong for having these things just to like, no, I can have compassion for myself and, um, and be, you know, being more in the spirit of giving and generosity and, and creating a vision for myself. I love all of that combined. It's beautiful. Do you personally find, I'm curious if, if having less physical attachment in your life has made it easier to have less like emotional attachments, or if you find that your sense of, of emotional attachments have changed at all with having less physical attachments? That is a really good question. And like, we could talk to my therapist about this and see what <laughs> she thinks. Um, but you know, I, what, I think the, the honest truth for me personally is that I tend easily towards anxiety and overwhelm. And we had a client once who described visual like clutter as almost like a bunch of radios tuned to different stations. 
Mm. Like it's just noise. Like it literally is just noise. And I, I find that I'm really sensitive to space in that way. And so it does, it feels like a lot of noise and overwhelm to me. So I find that when I have less stuff, I'm opened up more. Like it's, it's almost like the inverse. It's like the less room the space takes up, the more, more room or the more space I have to, you know, be present with my kids, with my friends, with my partner. I do find that the tools for letting go of stuff are really useful in relationships. You know, I've found that like, if I don't have a healthy relationship, I have like the language and the understanding around letting go, Mm. you know, saying like, that's not serving me. I wish this person well, you know, it's just not for me anymore. Or like, I've sort of grown through this. And so I think that that is really beneficial, but I think for me more than anything, it's, it's the absence of like the anxiety and the noise and the clingingness that an overwhelm of stuff can create for me. Does that make sense? Definitely. Yeah. I feel the same way with, with yeah. too much stuff. It does feel like noise. That's why I like things relatively simple, some art, some green. That's good. You right. know, it, yeah, it calms me down and it's, I, to- I completely relate. And I like what you said about like having less stuff actually helps you to open up. I think that's a beautiful way to look at it is it's actually expansive when there's, fewer things in the external environment and allows your internal environment to, to shift and expand and to kind of settle a little bit more. Yeah. I mean, I think on a really basic level, something we ran into with a ton of our clients was like not feeling a lot of pride in your space. And so therefore not really wanting to share it with people, you know, whether you don't want to host or you don't want a potential boyfriend or girlfriend to like look in your closet or you, you know, whatever it is versus having a space that you feel really comfortable in and proud of, you can just flow through it differently. Um, You can invite people into it differently. Or if you're an introvert, you know, and that's not your goal, you can just sort of like be content inside of it. Um, And so I do, I feel like that's a big part of it for me. I want to be able to, all my family is out of the state that I live in. Like I want them to be able to come and stay with me. I want there to be room at the table for more people to come. Like I don't want it to be full of projects because I want to sit down and share a meal with the people I love. And, and so that spaciousness exactly as you summed up before, like it really does allow for more openness in relationships. I like that. And I think it's really true. And I think a lot of people relate to that, whether they're living in an environment that reflects that, or they're living in the opposite. I think then there's that sense of I know for me, if I come in to a space and there's too much stuff, it's like, oh, I can't relax. And I think this is common for people. Yeah. And I'm curious too, like, how do you, and I think this comes back to mindfulness and awareness and some of the things that you've already mentioned, but how do you keep from like flipping the switch too much the other way and just like purging and getting rid of everything? Because again, last night at this meeting, we were talking a little bit about, about how good that feels. And I know I move relatively frequently. And so I, I'll do these big purges here and there just because I have because I want to. I don't want to move all this stuff. And it feels really good to get rid of things. Um, but I'm curious about that discernment process of just not wanting to like have a fresh start every single time and getting rid of everything. And if you could speak to that. Yeah. Well, I love the word that you use, discernment. That's something that has showed up in my life a lot that I personally am trying to hold on to. But speaking to this idea of getting rid of too much. I did it. I did. I read this book by this gentleman named Dave Bruno called the 100 Things Challenge. And so I did it. I challenged myself to only own 100 things. And it was like a pair of shoes is one. A journal is one. I decided all underwear would only count as one. Anyways, the rules don't really (laughs) matter. But 
<laughs> what I found was that the lightness of letting go of things comes from not letting your stuff occupy so much of your mental and physical space. And I find that the opposite was true for me was that I was so focused on letting go that all of a sudden my stuff took up all of my space and all of my mm. energy. You know, every time I put something mm. on, I'd almost like will it to not fit me well or to have a hole in it so I could get rid of it. And I found that like there was a tightness and a stress on the other side. In some ways, I'm grateful that I had that experiment because I do think we spend in general, like, and I, I don't know exactly who your audience is, but assuming that we are women in the Western world who generally have like easy access to a lot of things and are struggling with having more than what we need, that many of us don't necessarily hit the other point. Like, I feel like I spent the first 25 years of my life in excess. I spent mm -hmm. about six weeks and way not enough. And that was enough for me to like recalibrate and kind of find the middle. But that's where I think like these tools, this idea of like counting or anything that you're doing, which is making you spend a lot of time and mental energy on like focusing on exactly what you do have. I feel like that doesn't go with the spirit of like lightness and freedom, which is actually the goal. I think a part of it also is that once you start to feel yourself hitting like the good sort of space, and of course, you know, stuff still comes into our lives. It, it's kind of like an ideal way with digestion. Mm. You know, like you want enough food coming in and you also want enough going out. Like you don't want too much coming in and you don't want not enough going out or vice versa. And so the goal is really to get into like habits and routines of like as things come in, things can also move out. So typically it involves like one big decluttering to get to sort of a good, healthy feeling place. And then having tools like having the bag by the door. So that way, as you like put on that dress for the second time and it just still doesn't fit and you just mm -hmm. like, you just drop it in the bag. And then when you're on your way to do your errands, like next week, you can donate it. And so having like the stuff leaving your life, just be a casual part of it, um, mm. I think is really helpful. And then I think too, noticing, like if you feel really, when you get to a place that feels good and you're honoring and respecting your stuff, ideally, things come in and stay for a longer period of time. You know, it's like the investing in fewer, better things. Yeah. So if you're still shopping at forever 21, you are going to constantly be needing to let go of stuff. You know, you're going to be constantly needing to purge because the stuff is coming in. It doesn't hold up and it has to go out. Whereas if you're taking the time to really like slow your experience of consumption, I find things enter more slowly they can leave more gradually and you can like kind of find yourself settling into a really healthy groove that works for you. Mm -hmm. When you are, when you go to like buy something, what's your process of, I know you mentioned before about having things that you're aligned with. Do you yeah. go with your, your gut feeling? What's a way to know? Like I have a friend who, who will say like, well, don't buy it unless you really love it. And it's hard to know sometimes, like, do, do, like, sometimes, you know, and sometimes maybe you like it a lot, but you're not sure if you love it. I don't know if you have a particular process of discernment for the things that you do invite into your space. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's, it varies depending on if it's like something like clothing versus like a new pan or something. I tend to be something of a researcher. You know, I try mm -hmm. to make sure that stuff is where I can made ethically, you know, made by people who are being paid well, who are working in safe environments, that the materials are like good for the world. That that try I try to have that be my sort of baseline around consumption. Mm. And then with other things, a, a big learning for me was that I can appreciate an item without owning it. 
Hmm. Like I was in LA with my mom and sisters recently and we were walking down to Abikini and I walked into these like beautiful home stores and I just saw linens and tablecloths and pillows and all of these things. And I just thought these are all so beautiful. And my old reaction would be like, I want it. I want to have it. I want it in my home. It's beautiful. I need it. And instead I was like, these are beautiful. Like what beautiful items. I have pillowcases. I have napkins. Like I'm, I'm sort of good there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think a big step for me is like knowing I can appreciate stuff without owning it. And then I find too, when I'm in like a really healthy place, I don't like shop for recreation. I shop intentionally. And so I might say to myself, you know, like when I moved from San Francisco and I now live in Boise, Idaho. And so I went from having essentially one very mild season to having four seasons. And I was like, I actually need sweaters. Like yeah. I am cold. <laughs> I need this in my life. And so what I tried to do was just to really slowly purchase one item, make sure it fits, make sure I love it. Like my sort of goal is for any new item I bring in to be my favorite. Mm, And a part of that that. is like when something's new, it's right. When something's new, it's really exciting. But I'm like, I want when I put it on, like I want this to be, if I were to pack and go somewhere, if I were to go out to dinner, if I were to do something like I want this thing that I buy to be the one thing that I want to wear. Cause then I know it's like at the very top of its game. So yeah, that's, that's what I try to do is, and then a part of it too, is like shopping less. So on the occasion when you want something, you can invest in it because really beautiful items that are thoughtfully made can be expensive. Definitely. And I know there's so much privilege inherent in all of this conversation around minimalism, around having too much, around investing in fewer better. It's like, I, I always feel like I want a huge asterisk by all of this, which is like everybody be safe, take care of yourself, do the best you can. And if you have so much privilege that you have too much, then we can start to talk about this. Yeah. I'm glad you said that. And I appreciate that. It it is, it's of, you know, a a certain aspect of our our culture, but it's, you know, I think anything that's minimizing people's ability to be, have their life force be opened, you know, and I think we're lucky when we are privileged to live Mm -hmm. in a, in a society where our basic needs are met. And to acknowledge too that because they're they're met, there's still this, I think a lot of this shrinking of life force with anxiety and stuff and stress and addiction. And so conversations yeah. like this, I think are really beneficial to just let people know there's there's other ways to be in the world. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I speak about privilege not to say that pain around stuff isn't real because it is still incredibly real. And it it can be, I mean, you talk about shrinking of life force. I love that language. Like we to walk into somebody's space, some of our client spaces, you know, it's really vulnerable because they're saying like, I'm not proud of my space. I don't love it. And to see the way people's bodies truly, you know, like the shoulders mm. come forward, the head goes down, like really the way that like you, you can just feel their energy and you can see it in their body language that when they're in a place, that's not opening them. That's not supporting them. That's not like really harnessing that life force and moving it in the direction they want. It is. It's really it's not just heavy. It's, it's hard. It's sad. Like it is a big, it's a big and honest and real problem, no matter how we catch it. Yeah, definitely. And I, I really appreciate the work you're doing and I, I really appreciate you coming on to share some of your thought processes behind what you're doing and some of the, the psychological things that go into it. Cause I know it's really 
a big deal for a lot of people. And as we're wrapping up, I just want to give you a, a platform to talk about any ongoing projects you have or how people can find you if they'd like to hear more or learn more about what you're doing or, or hire you or how you work, anything like that, if you'd like to share. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, something that you mentioned at the beginning that I'm really proud of is our book that came out um, about a year and a half ago. And then we got a chance to write an accompanying journal. So if you go on to Amazon or to any local booksellers and just write in new minimalism, they're also were purchased by a lot of libraries, which is something I'm like super duper proud of because that's a big part of it for us, you know, is like, you don't have to own it. You can borrow it and enjoy it. But um, I think that getting clear, like if someone wants to do this work, getting clear on your archetype, you know, we have a lot of tools for helping you get clear on what you're trying to create and have that vision be really honed in um, as well as step-by-step instructions on how to declutter. So if this is like a real process that someone wants to work through, I really recommend that book. I love that. Um, we're on Instagram, new minimalism, um, and our website, newminimalism.com. We've got a quarterly newsletter that comes out. So try very hard not to spam people, but it's available with, um, all of our new writings, tools that we have, resources that we like to share. That's great. Thank you so much. And then, um, yeah, I'll put all those links in the show notes too, so people have access to them. All right, Corey, or Carrie, I'm sorry. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on today. <laughs> Don't worry about it. was really nice talking with you. I appreciate um, the questions that you asked, and I, I hope that this was helpful to your audience. Definitely.